0: Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. We have, for several weeks now, I think this would be the fourth week, kind of been in a series, working with a theme, and it's my intention to wrap that up today, that everybody kind of consolidated on one side, I don't have to get whiplash, break my neck today. Uh, It's my intention to wrap that up today, Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Mark chapter 16. Verses sixteen through eighteen, and then we're going to go and read Acts chapter four, verses twenty-nine through thirty-one. And these two scriptures together has been what God's been dealing with me on, and what I've been presenting to us as a church. Jesus speaking in Mark chapter sixteen, just before His ascension into heaven, uh, says this to His followers: He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe: In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall Recover. So Jesus promises to his believers, to his followers, we could say Jesus promises to the church that there would be miracles. There was going to be the miraculous. But he makes a very strong connection between the presence of miracles and the presence of truth. He didn't just say willy-nilly there's going to be um, miracles happening all over the place. He said that The signs would follow those that believe. Now we get to Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. And in this, contextually, the church is facing great persecution. They're being threatened that if they continue to speak in the name of Jesus, they're going to be thrown into prison, they're going to be beaten, they're going to be punished thoroughly. So they call a prayer meeting. And this is what they pray. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place Was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began, I'm sorry, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So the early church prayed for the promise of the miraculous. They sought after, they desired to see miraculous things take place, but they also made a strong connection between the miraculous and the truth. Their prayer was not just, God, give us a bunch of miracles so these people stop threatening us. Their prayer was, number one, God, fill us with boldness to speak your word. Give us the strength and the courage in spite of what's being said to us to go out and to continue to proclaim truth. And then they call upon his promise that we read about in Mark 16. And they say, and by the way, while we do that, we would sure like you to back it up with signs and wonders and healings and all the things that you talked about. They wanted to see the supernatural in their life. So we are in good company when we desire to see God move supernaturally on our behalf. I haven't said this to this point in the, the series, but I feel like clarifying it now, that is not a selfish thing. It's not selfish or out of the book to desire to see God move supernaturally. We have an apostolic example here of a church that prays for that, but they do pray it in connection to validation of the truth. It's not a circus act. God impress us. God wow us. God show us something cool again. But that goes out to validate the message of truth. So we've stated clearly just a few things that make us different as a church. We believe in one God. We believe that Jesus Christ was the God of the Old Testament, roped in the flesh, that the Holy Ghost is the same spirit that filled Jesus, made him a, a living being, the spirit of God that we receive. It's one God manifest in many different ways. And that's just three examples. I have to I can't do too much review. Go back and listen online, I guess. Um, we believe in the salvation plan laid out in John three in Acts two, that a person has to repent of their sins And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the taking away of those sins, and that they will receive the promise of the Holy Ghost. God said that's what has to happen in order for us to experience salvation. That is not salvation of works, that's salvation of (laughs) obedience. You don't do anything special when you get baptized in Jesus' name other than obey. God does the miracle work. And we believe in a life of holiness. Separation from the world, separation to God, pursuing him, separating us from things that he does not like. So with that truth out there on our sleeve for all to see, we seek after and pray for God to do supernatural things that would validate that word. So two weeks ago, we spent time examining scripture and present day testimony in regards to the healing power of God. And we've seen that through scripture, time and time again, God would miraculously heal the body of people who had various ailments. We heard testimony. My grandmother, in fact, stood up here on this platform and testified about being healed of uh, stage four breast and ovarian cancer. And that's not like it's, it's been in remission for six months. It's been 10 years She's been having a clean bill of health. The doctors still have her come back in every so often. And they run the test. And every time it's a reminder of God's power. And what he did in her life. We watched a testimony online. Of a gentleman who recently was blind. And coming up out of the waters of baptism. Received his sight back. So God was a healer. And God still is a healer. Last week... We spent our time examining, again, Scripture and modern-day testimony of God's ability to deliver and to free people from things that they've connected themselves to and become addicted to. So the good news is, God doesn't only move in those ways on the weeks that we preach about Him. So we're going to move on. We're going to preach about something else, talk about something else today. But if you need deliverance or you need healing... The same God is here today and is able to do those same things. Today I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction. And um, I want us to talk about God's mundane miracles. For something to be mundane, it is commonplace or ordinary. It just happens all the time. So it almost seems counterintuitive to talk about mundane miracles. It sounds like an oxymoron. Um, For something to be miraculous, it has to first be highly improbable. So we're talking about highly improbable things happening on a regular basis. We serve a God that makes the highly improbable common. One synonym that I really like of miraculous is super normal. And I understand their meaning of that word being beyond normal. But I I think we need to get comfortable enough with seeing God move that seeing the miraculous is just that's just super normal. Like we see it all the time. Old Testament examples. We're going to just walk through Old Testament examples. We're going to see examples from the life of Jesus. Examples in the early church. And some modern day examples again. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see God operating. Obviously, this is an Old Testament passage. And there is a a widow there who has very little to her in her possession. She doesn't have much left. In fact, the Bible lets us know that she has enough uh, ingredients to make one final meal. And her outlook on life is not very great. In fact, the prophet rolls into town and begins to talk with her and her feedback to the prophet is this, is, this is my plan for the future. I'm going to cook my last meal for me and my son and then we're going to die. Like She didn't have a whole lot of hope in the situation. She didn't really see an opportunity for God to move. It was highly improbable for them to survive with nothing left. And the prophet says to her, you know great plan. But first, I'd like you to make me something to eat. And she obliges. I guess she probably figured, you know what, what do I have to lose anyway? So she, she makes a meal for the prophet, and he eats the meal, and he prays, and he blesses her. And God begins to do something supernatural in the life of this woman. And sometimes we present this As a miracle. But this is a series of miracles that become released into this woman's life. Because the Bible tells us that she would go back to that barrel time and time again following this. And each time she went back, there would be more ingredients there. It doesn't ever say that God filled the barrel. We like it when God just fills the barrel. And then we have the security and we no longer feel so desperate, and we don't have to trust God as much as we did before. But God did not fill the barrel. However, over and over and over again, He operates miraculously in this woman's life to where she comes back to it the next day, and there's, there's more food, and, and now she's out again. But the next day, she comes back, and there's, there's more food. And the, now, now she's got day after day, it becomes common. It was just a mundane miracle. First Kings chapter 18, so just one chapter later, so many times when we get caught up in talking about miracles, we talk about one of the two things that we've already covered. We talk about healings and we talk about deliverance. And we kind of gloss over or forget about all the other incredible things that God has done in the scripture. In this place, there is a, I guess, showdown, you could say, between God and his prophet Elijah and The false god, Baal, and the multitude of prophets that they had on the scene. And they both build an altar. And Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, allows them to go first. And the rule was, or the deal was, that whichever god answered by fire, then all the people would know they were God. So here again, we see truth, and it's backed up by the miraculous. And so the prophets of Baal, they make all their offerings and they jump and they shout and they dance and they they do everything they can to capture the attention of Baal and and nothing happens to the point where Elijah starts to mock a little bit and he says, hey, maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe maybe Baal's sleeping. Maybe he's went on a long journey and and he's not around. Um, And then it's finally his turn and he doesn't jump around. He doesn't like try to dry the wood out. In fact, he calls for 12 barrels of water to be poured over the offering. To be poured over the altar. To be, to be just They just drenched this thing so that it was soaking wet. And I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire with, with wet wood. It doesn't work real well. And yet he prays a simple prayer and he steps out of the way. And God responds with fire from heaven. So hot that it consumed the entire offering. It burnt up the altar. It scorched the ground. It licked up all the water. There was nothing left. God responded in a way that was supernatural to validate himself, to validate truth. This seems a little bit like Sunday school, and and I don't know what they're learning today, but at some point in the past, and again some point in the future, they're going to talk about the walls of Jericho. Well, that was a miracle. Nobody got healed. There was actually an invasion taking place, so nobody was technically delivered. But there was something supernatural that took place. And how did it take place? It took place through day after day after day of obedience. God's people walking one step at a time around the walls of a city that seemed impenetrable. There was no way. When you study the walls, it's not like a wall. I mean, it was approximately 12 feet thick of stone and mortar it was large enough that they could ride chariots around the top of it and here are the people of god like their leadership you just just walk around the city okay and day after day one foot in front of the other responding to the command of god until ultimately after several days of this and several actions of obedience, they blow the trumpets and they shout. And these amazing walls that are just fortified to no end come crumbling down. And these vagabond slaves defeat a great city like Jericho. That's a miracle. There's miracles in the Bible that I read about and I just think, why? 2 Kings chapter 6 talks about a guy who borrows an axe and goes down by the river Jordan and he's chopping wood. And as he's chopping wood, the head of the axe flies off of the handle and lands in the river. And the prophet happens to be walking by and, and converses with this guy and he's distraught. I understand how he feels. If I borrow something from someone, I really want to give it back. And now he can't. He's borrowed this axe. You know why you borrow things? Because you don't have one in the first place. And an axe head made out of iron would have been fairly expensive in this time. It was a valuable thing. And, and he just lost his neighbor's axe head in the river. This is not a good day for this guy. So we read past it and we're like, what's the big deal? This was a big deal to him. So he's like, oh, just I was chopping wood. And the axe head, just, I don't know why it was loose. I should have checked it. I don't know why he gave it to me like that. And it flies off into the water. And, and now I don't have it. And so through the unction of, of God working with him, obviously, the prophet cuts down a stick. He's like, where would you say it went? Right over there. And he throws the stick into the water. And the iron axe head... We say floats, the Bible says swims. So I don't know if it was, you know, having a little motion to it or what was going on. But the Bible said that this iron axe head swims to the surface and this man's able to go out and get it. Now we read that, we say, that didn't change anybody's life. Like nobody got saved. But God seen somebody that was distraught and just a mundane day-to-day activity, God said, you know what, I'm going to release some of my supernatural power here to help this individual out. We get into the New Testament and we see uh, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has just received some personal bad news and so he tries to separate himself and he goes out into, the Bible says, a desert place, he, away from where the towns and the cities were supposed to be and yet there were so many people that desired things from him that they all just followed him. So he couldn't get away. And the Bible tells us that he's moved with compassion on them and begins to heal all their sick and do all of these miracles. And then at the end of the day, his disciples come and they say, Jesus, it's getting kind of late. And if we don't send the people back into the towns and villages soon, they're going to be hungry. Not they're going to starve. Nobody's life was in danger. There wasn't that that much of an urgency here. And Jesus says, you know what? You feed them. And I would probably respond the same way, like, um, we can't do that. It's highly improbable, Jesus, because we have um, a few fish and a little bit of bread. And the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So we just got a, a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread, and, you know, there's a lot of people, so you should just send them home. Jesus says, no, I I want you to begin to obey me. I want you to go out and to start having the people sit down in the grass in in groups of 50. And, And so the disciples, they have no other choice other than forsaking Jesus. And they've seen too much at this point. So they act in obedience and they go out and they begin to give the instructions. And the Bible says that Jesus takes that little bit of fish and that little bit of bread and he multiplies it. And he feeds a multitude of people. I know we've heard these stories. I not, nobody's like, wow, I didn't know that. We've all heard these stories. And they just become mundane. They just become things that we're used to hearing. But that's what was going on. This wasn't a dire situation. These were just people who were hungry. And Jesus said, you know what? I, I will provide. He didn't say, oh, sorry guys. Supernatural power is running kind of low. I've been doing all these important healings. He wasn't running out of the ability to to operate supernaturally. He just feeds the the thousands of people that were there. The very next thing he does, he, he feeds the people. He puts his disciples in a boat and tells them to go to the other side of the sea. And he says, I'll meet you over there. And then he separates himself and he finds himself a place where he can pray personally and recharge. He's setting an example for us. The humanity of Jesus is is praying to the deity. And, And so we see all of this unfolding. And the Bible says that about midnight, he was there alone. But the ship full of disciples was out in the sea being tossed back and forth. It was the wind was contrary to where they were trying to go. So the disciples are rowing. With everything they have, I don't know how many hours they've been out there at this point. They're exhausted. They're tired. And Jesus told them what? He said, I will meet you on the other side. So the Bible says that he just starts walking out on the water. He doesn't get in another boat. That's probably what they assumed he was going to do. He just starts taking a stroll. Too many times when we see this in pictures, flannel graphs, and Sunday school, and digital imagery, there's like smooth waters You can see the little ripple marks where Jesus has been walking. Remember, there is a storm taking place. So much so that 12 men can't row their boat. And Jesus is just strolling across the sea, just walking on water. No big deal here. Just just another day. I, I love this part because the Bible says, and he would have passed them by. He had no intention of stopping and helping them. He was going, I told you I'd meet you at the other side. And so he's walking by and they see him. And, and now they're even more scared because in their, their carnal mind, they don't believe that it's Jesus. They believe that Jesus has died in the storm and it's a ghost that they're seeing. And so they begin to converse and they cry out. And, and Peter says, if it's you, call me out onto the water with you. We got to be careful what we pray because Peter put himself <laughs> in this position. Jesus is like, "Well, I'm not going to deny myself." I mean, the way he worded this, he really kind of boxes Jesus in, and so Jesus says, "Well, I, it's me, so come on out." And Peter now steps out onto the waves and begins to walk on the stormy what. Jesus has not calmed the waves yet. He hasn't calmed the storm. And so we see him operating supernaturally, and it's just another day in the life of Jesus. It's just another mundane miracle, just, just Jesus out for a walk. In another place, we see, again, all this stuff in boats. We see him in a boat and in a storm. And again, his disciples are freaking out and they're scared. And Jesus is snoozing. He's taking a nap. And they the disciples were kind of dramatic at times. They wake him up and they're like, don't you care that we're all dying? Don't you understand what's going on here? And Jesus is like, what? And just... He was was God in flesh. You know, he had to wipe the sweep out. What what is it? Well, there's this storm and there's all this stuff going on. Just another day with Jesus. He just steps out onto the boat. Peace be still. And the wind and the waves obey his voice. And the disciples are blown away. It's just, they would have made it to the other side. He didn't have to calm the storm. It wasn't his time. The boat wasn't going to sink. Yet he releases supernatural power to comfort those that he's with. It's just another day. Just another mundane miracle. We see it in the early church. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip, who joins himself to an Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, begins to teach a Bible study. And through the course of that Bible study, this man sees his need. It's really cool. He's teaching him a Bible study from the Old Testament. And through the course of that Old Testament Bible study, this man sees his need to respond by being baptized in the name of Jesus. So as the chariot's traveling along, um, the guy says, hey, look, there's some water. Let's stop the chariot. I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. So the Bible says both of them go down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. He baptizes him in Jesus' name, brings them back up out of the water, and then I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 8, Verses 39 and 40. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Athetas, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I think this is a lot easier to read by than it would have been to live out. For the eunuch... To start with, he he goes down into the water with Philip, with someone else. He's baptized, he gets brought up out of the water, and Philip's gone. I don't know how many times he told the story, but I was baptized by an angel. I kid you not. We were were driving down the road, and he doesn't know what's going on. It's also got to be extremely confusing for a moment for Philip. He baptizes this guy. Brings him up out of the water, and now he's in, I'm saying, Azatus. Like, how did I get here? Talk about supernatural. Just, Oh yeah, just another day with Jesus. Just another day in the will of God. Something supernatural just took place. He, he's. I mean, he probably had to ask me, where, where am I? Even? I'm sorry, what, what town is this? So what does he do when he's there? Well, he just starts going through all the towns preaching, preaching about Jesus. God said, I need you over here. And then really quickly, I'm going to need you over there. So just buckle your seatbelt. Something supernatural is about to take place. Acts chapter 20, Paul is preaching for a really long time. You read it. He preached for a long time. So much so that a young man that was there in service was sitting in the window. And they were in an upstairs area. And as he's preaching, this kid falls asleep. This young man falls asleep. How could he do that? The Apostle Paul is preaching. And this guy falls asleep and then falls backwards or sideways or whichever way. I guess maybe it does say backwards. Anyways, he falls out of the window and dies. Like, that's a rough day at church. How was church? Well, Johnny <laughs> fell out the window and died. Like, that's, that's horrible. And yet Paul makes his way downstairs and gets to the guy and just prays for him. And he's raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. And then Paul goes back upstairs and keeps preaching. It's just just another day with Jesus. One more from the Gospels. I'll backtrack just a little bit. We've got the story of Lazarus. I don't have the chapter in verse, I didn't put this in my notes. But the story of Lazarus and his passing. And this is a cool story because the sisters of Lazarus and Lazarus were already close to Jesus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. And as he becomes ill... The sisters send word to where Jesus is that, hey, Lazarus is not doing well. He needs you to come and to help him. And their full expectation was that Jesus was going to drop what he was doing and make his way to his friend Lazarus and heal him in that moment. But he doesn't. He keeps working with the people that he's with. And then, when it's too late, he makes his way back to where Lazarus is. He gets to where the sisters are. They come out and they meet him. And one of them says something that's very revealing about the way we think as humans sometimes. They say, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have healed my brother. Like, I I believe in the supernatural. I, I believe that you're able to do things that are, are beyond our comprehension. And, and had you been here, right? She already had a preconceived... Time stamp on when God could move and a preconceived understanding on how God could move. And what she interpreted as the delay of God was actually the Lord laying the foundation and setting up the circumstances for a greater display of God. And so sometimes we say, well, I prayed about it and God didn't, he hasn't moved yet. And so we say, well, it just must not be the will of God. I sought God for healing, and and you know what? I'm not healed yet, so it must not be the will of God. And maybe it's not. It's not always the will of God for us to be healed. I sought God for provision, and He hasn't come through yet, and we don't want to, to challenge God, so we say, well, it just must not be what God desires for my life. And yet sometimes God's just allowing the situation to become so far gone to our, our humanistic mindset that it sets the stage for a greater display of His power when He does come through, when He does move. Just another day for Jesus. It, it didn't matter if, he was, if Lazarus was sick or dead. His ability could, could surpass both sets of circumstances. Just another mundane miracle. <clears throat> I'll share some testimonies from my own life. Because when it comes to modern examples, that's about all I have to pull from. But I think any of us could probably fill this portion of the service with our own stories. Bear with me if you've heard some of these. I like to brag on Jesus. When we first got married, we were broke as broke could be. Like, we were really broke. (laughs) Um, And so we had a budget. And in that budget, there was a date associated with when we would grocery shop. And if we ran out of food, before that date, we were just out of food. And I remember my aunt coming over one time, unrelated to to this story, a little bit of a different time span. But she opens the refrigerator, and as she's opening that, she was just saying, Hey, I'm going to get something to drink. And she opens the refrigerator, and there was a gallon of water and a box of baking soda. (laughs) Probably some butter or ketchup or something in the door. But, like, there wasn't much to choose from. She said, Why don't you go get some food? And I said, Well, because it's not whatever date. I don't remember what date was on the budget. But so we, I mean, we, we had to be careful. We had to really watch it. We were just that broke. Um, I was starting out as a flooring contractor, and in the winter, they're just I would go a long time without work. And so I was renting a house from the church that we were a part of. And part of the arrangement there, because we were always so broke, is I had to do so many hours of maintenance and upkeep at the church to help offset our rent. So we had all this snow, it's coming, we had all this snow piled up on the roof and it was my job to go shovel the roof of the church. So I wake up and I was praying, I was really having a really bad attitude, complaining before the presence of God as I put my boots on my bibs on and anything else I could find to put on because I don't like the cold about how, you know, this is going on and that's going on and I don't have this and I don't have that and just, just really laying it out there, right? And in the middle of all that, I finally get all my stuff on and get everything ready to go and I open the door to leave and, and from my front door, probably 15 feet down the stairs and on the sidewalks just covered in bags of groceries. Or someone had responded obediently to God's prompting and went out and bought a bunch of groceries and left them on the steps and just left. So I'm inside. I just hope I wasn't complaining loud enough for them to hear as they were unloading the groceries. (laughs) That's that's my biggest desire about this whole story. But God seen a need and it it wasn't dire. Like, yes, we were going to be hungry. Yes, we were uncomfortable, but we weren't going to die. And yet, God said, You know what? I can move in this situation. There's a mundane miracle that I can release right here on the middle of the week when you've got no work and I can fill your refrigerator. God provides for us. He's really, really good at that. <clears throat> How many years ago did we take John and Crystal to midwinter? Three years ago? Three years ago, I have her in the passenger seat of our van. I have uh, a friend of mine, a, a, there was a couple. The husband was sitting behind her and the wife was sitting behind me and we're on our way to St. Louis and we're making a transition. We're stepping out of the youth president role. They're able to come as our secretary. So they're, they're coming along with us and we're on our way there and we're in the middle of nowhere on these dirt roads. And I come up to a, a paved road and I have to cross it and continue to go. And I look to my right and there's a truck and I look to my left, and there's nothing. And I severely misgauged the distance of that truck. When I say truck, I'm talking a semi. And so I just very slowly, with, with no hurry at all, just very slowly started to roll across the road. And John, behind me, is saying my name. Jason. Jason. Jason! <laughs> and finally, the urgency catches me, and I, I turn. And when I turn, all I remember seeing was a, a giant headlight. And there was no time to hit the brakes. And there was no time to hit the gas. The only thing I could do is rip the wheel in the direction that this truck was about to hit us. And it smashes into the side of the van. And the glass shatters and the metal crunches and the tires squeal as we spin all the way around 360 degrees in the intersection. And then down into the ditch. And we finally come to a stop. And I I can only think, oh my goodness, I just killed people. The van was completely total. completely total. Talked to the truck driver afterward and he said, because of the way I slowly came out, he didn't think I was gonna pull out and by the time I did, it was too late. He never even really hit the brakes and he was driving 55 miles an hour. Say, where's the miracle in that? All four of us got out of the vehicle, outside of a couple of trips to the chiropractor, no one went to the hospital. There was no ambulance called. In fact, we got into the back of a squad car and drove to the nearest town and rented a car and continued going on our trip. God's hand of protection was there. And that's a miracle. I'd be a fool not to testify about God's ability. It's just another day. Whatever day it was, I don't know. Probably Thursday, Thursday morning. Nobody was there, nobody got saved. Nobody was, you know, their life wasn't changed forever. No disabilities that were, were taken away from them, except for the ones that they should have gotten in the, in the car accident. God just said, you know what, I'm going to move there. I'm going to do a miracle in this situation. <clears throat> a little bit of a lighter note, but still just as important, because it could have cost me my life. Just a few weeks ago, I'm working, I'm building a garage. There's an 8-inch block wall. There's a 10-foot wall built on top of that. A couple top plates my feet are at about 11 feet off the ground. Two by six wall, I'm walking this wall, my guys are on the ground, Chad is there, they're all making cuts, handing me the boards, I'm installing the boards on top of the wall, and I just kinda cracked my neck, and when I did it, threw my equilibrium off just enough to where I did, like everything in my brain was saying don't do this, but yet my body was just dizzy enough to where I just turned like this and just stepped right out. I'm 11 feet here, and I fell about this far, maybe a little bit further, and just stopped. And I'm like, what's happening? And I looked down, and, and out of this entire job site, God orchestrated it so that when I stepped off, I stepped off exactly where an A-frame ladder was opened up. You know, that's about 5 inches by maybe 10, 11 inches. I landed both feet so square on the top of the ladder that it didn't even tip over. And I'm standing on top of a ladder where it says, do not stand. Yeah, I was very, very happy to be standing there. That's a miracle. You see, we see miracles all the time. We read this as these signs shall follow them that believe. And we're like, where where are the signs? Well, they're all around us. God's hand is moving over and over and over again in our life. Probably the most common miracle that we see that we fail to label as a miracle sometimes is the gift of salvation. I alluded to it a little bit before, but when somebody's baptized in Jesus' name, I say all the time, like, I can't explain to you how that works. You know why I can't explain it? Because it's it's supernatural. It's beyond human comprehension. It's highly improbable. That a person would live a life of sin, come to a place where they realize they've lived a life of sin, repent, say they're sorry, right? Make a decision to go underwater. We I mean, it's piped in just like everything else is. It's just normal water. They go underwater, and when they come up in the eyes of God, all of their sins are gone. That's highly improbable. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. We talk about people being filled with the Spirit of God and speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Can you explain that to me? No, I can't. Remember, it said, as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. That's a miracle. We need to remember that. Like, we, we witness the miraculous on a regular basis. We see the gifts of the Spirit in operation. That's that's miraculous. You can read about them. Romans Romans 12. But there's these gifts of of the Spirit where God will begin to work with people, through people. And it's healthy and it's appropriate in a church. Probably the most notable time in my own life where I've experienced this, we were having a a lock-in at a YMCA for young people. And there was close to if not over 100 kids, our youth group was about 20 people at the time, and all of these kids showed up to this lock-in, and I'm up on this little makeshift, we had set up a platform, and I'm, I'm preaching to them, and they are, are so disinterested, like, they're just not there, they're there to play basketball and racquetball and ride on the floor with Sharpies and all the other things they did that night that I had to deal with, but... In the middle of that, I just stopped preaching and God began to operate supernaturally. It's not me. I couldn't take any credit for it. But there was just a word of knowledge that began to go out. And he would show me individuals that I did not know, these kids out of this, this crowd of people, and reveal very personal things about their home life. And so, not in the microphone, out of privacy to them, I would go over and I would just, instead of trying to preach to a hundred, I would just start to talk to one after another. After another, and God began to move, and all of a sudden, then everybody was really interested. In fact, some of them were in the bathroom later, and I overheard them saying, "I was just hoping you didn't come talk to me." (laughs) Why? 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 Because they were uncomfortable. We become uncomfortable with things that we can't explain. It was the supernatural that was taking place. Here's the point, and I'm going to close. You can come. God is active. How do we wrap this series up? That's what we need to recognize and understand. God, Jesus, is active on behalf of His people. He doesn't make empty promises. So when He said, these signs shall follow, it said shall. Not might. They, they might follow Him. You might see some signs every now and then. These signs shall follow them that believe. He's a God that's still mighty to save. The miraculous is in His hand. It's not a A feel-good trick for the church but it validates the lifestyle and the message that we present to a lost and dying world it's the exclamation point on the gospel so we're gonna end with another time of prayer and if you have a need in your life let's pray about it if you need healing in your body healing in your mind if you need deliverance If there's an area of provision or protection or help. If there's something beyond your human ability that you need today. I'm not promising you anything. I'm just saying that we we stand firm on the truth of God's word. And Jesus said that when we stand firm on the truth of his word, these signs shall follow. So I've been praying the same prayer that they prayed in Acts chapter 4. God, give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak your truth. And Lord, when we do that, I'm asking you to back it up. I'm asking you to do the things that only you can do. That go beyond any human preparation, any skill, any any ability. And just do the supernatural as a form of validation. She's going to play. I'm gonna step out of the way, this altar is open. If you would like to pray, you're, you're welcome to come up front. If you would like to be prayed with, just simply let me know. And let's just see what God would do. And the, the series is coming to an end. This is the last thing I'll say, I'll get out of your way. The series is coming to an end, but I hope over the last four weeks we've been able to reprogram our mind in thinking about the supernatural just a little bit differently. Because I feel like within the church, sometimes we, we treat it like it's that, that carrot that's always just out of reach rather than a promise that God has given to us. So when we, when we leave here and we go out into our communities and we go out into our families and we go onto to our workplaces, the same ability that God has here in this altar and in this service right now, we carry with us. These signs shall follow them that believe. That means where you go, God said that those signs would follow. If you want to pray, now's a great time. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's see what God will do today. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I prayed the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not, and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message, letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.